0: Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today, Andrew Stamper is rejoining me. We will be reviewing the movie Sunshine by Danny Boyle, but it's been a little while since we recorded, Andrew, so welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. It's a little weird. So we're we're doing a little makeshift recording setup, so we can't actually see each other, like, (laughs) hardly, other than hair. Yeah, I can, yeah. (laughs) It's a good thing we both have, like, elevated hair. Yeah, exactly. But, uh... I guess we'll start off just going over some of the basic details and then we'll do a little synopsis. Um so I'll start us off obviously film directed by Danny Boyle, famous for train spotting, um that probably got his name out there on the map. I think that was his first feature film, but I'm not 100% sure on that. He's also done 28 Days Later, 127 Hours, Slumdog Millionaire as well as several others, but those are I think probably the the most known films he's done. Um, the screenwriter was Alex Garland. They have worked together on a couple of different films. They actually... Yeah, I, I forgot The Beach as well. I think was a film they had worked on together mm-hmm. that Garland had written, written. Garland wrote the book, I believe. He did. If I'm not mistaken. So... And I think Alex Garland is actually directing his own f- films these days.
1: Yeah, he did Ex Machina. And then uh, this year, or I guess last year now, he did... Um, oh my God, I forgot the name of it, but it's so good. Annihilation.
0: Oh, nice. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I'm super curious because it has a lot of uh, references to, I feel like, Tarkovsky mm-hmm. and some of the uh, like the Lovecraftian kind of yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, And then the soundtrack is badass for this movie done by John Murphy and is an underworld. Is John Murphy, is that his band? Uh, I think you're a little more familiar with him than I am.
1: So, I mean, John Murphy, I know of from like film, like film, like the movies that he's done and underworld obviously being kind of like the, the nineties. I mean, they were, they, they did the born slippy song from. Uh, from Train Spotting as well. Oh, okay. Um, just kind of you know nineties type music. Yeah. But um, a little little podcast correction. I think his first film debut or his first film was a little movie that I love, uh, Shallow Grave, which just preceded Train Spotting by a couple of years. But Train Spotting certainly was a movie that got him on the map. But Shallow Grave is a good one too.
0: Okay. Right on. I haven't seen that one. So. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm Mr. Like Danny Boyle nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I just love his stuff.
0: But I guess we'll we'll do our little uh, plot synopsis. Yeah, totally. And so we start off. We are in the middle of the action. They're on their way to reignite the sun with a gigantic payload of fissile material. And they are a the second mission that has been sent with this goal, and the first mission was Icarus One, that they lost contact with at some point during during that mission, and so they are the second mission, Icarus Two, and we have a kind of an international cast of characters um, from a number of different countries. We have um, we have a site. A psychologist. We have, um, <clears throat> we have a communications guy. We have, I don't know what Mace is like. Our pilot. Um, we have a bio- biologist. We have um, Kappa is our well. He's our f- physicist. Mm-hmm. And so we pretty much are following this crew along their way. They run into an issue where they actually. Once they reach Mercury, they discover a signal to the original Icarus 1 mission, and then they make a fateful decision to try to, I guess, dock with Icarus 1, because they're interested in getting the payload from Icarus 1 to ensure that they can reignite the sun, and having two bombs is, is better than one bomb, is sort of the logic there. But... Things go awry as they are sabotaged while docked and then things really kind of spiral out of control from there and ultimately there's the captain of the first mission had gone crazy and that's ultimately why it ended up failing and so he's he's still alive seven years later and makes his way onto Icarus 2, sabotages the ship, and eventually our hero Kappa ends up detonating the payload in the sun, restarting the sun, and saving mankind. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that a pretty good um, synopsis? There? Yeah,
1: yeah, more or less. Yeah, basically, the the whole reason why they're going into the sun is it's set in the not too distant future, like fifty years or whatever. And the whole concept is our sun is dying, and there's some backstory as to why. You know, if, uh, if you listen to, like the commentary, and there's like another. Um. Thing that's kind of going on with particles and what have you, but the the whole idea is, yeah, they they've they've taken every type of resource that's left on on Earth to go ahead to launch this launch this mission of reigniting the the sun,
2: yeah,
0: and then shit gets cray, <laughs> mad cray, um. But let's go through the. I'll go through and just name off the cast, which is a pretty awesome cast of international stars. We have Cliff Curtis as Searle. We have Chipo Chung as the voice of Icarus. We have, of course, Killian Murphy as Kappa, Michelle Yeoh as Corazon, Hiroyuki Sanada as Kaneda, Rose Byrne as Cassie, Benedict Wong as Trey, Chris Evans, Captain America, as Mace, Troy Garrity as Harvey. Mark Strong as Pinbacker. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much our main cast for the film. And uh, I guess that's where we'll start off as far as dissecting the acting in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought, overall,
1: pretty amazing cast. Dude, the the cast is awesome. And I think and part of the reason why I love Danny Boyle films is he's really able to get some stellar performances out of his cast. And I think, I don't even really know where I want to begin, but I think I'm going to begin with Chris Evans.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that's where I wanted to start myself.
1: So he's not necessarily the star, but he's kind of the, um really the smart guy. I mean, he's the engineer, uh, you know, in in the film. And we'll talk about his character, sure. But his performance is really, really awesome. And it was the first time that I had seen him in something other than, what was it, like not another teen movie or whatever <laughs> yes, that was, exactly. you know? And I thought he was funny in that film. Yeah. And I, I may have seen him in something else at the, uh, you know, um, around this time, but it was when this movie came out, uh, I'm like, oh, snap, this guy can actually act, you know, and he can act really, really well. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Chris Evans is probably the first person I would talk about his, in terms of performances, Was just for me anyway, like knock it out of the park
0: in many re- respects, I think he might be the kind of emotional center of the film. Yeah. Um, he's definitely, I think the most, <laughs> definitely the most human and character perhaps mm-hmm. out of, out of everyone that, you know, I guess he gets, he's he got a pretty big role. Some of the other characters don't voice, you know, much emotion or opinion mm-hmm. really. like Corazon. She's pretty quiet. Yep. Um, Trey, I guess, is emotional, but he's kind of a he doesn't have a central role mm-hmm. as far as carrying, you know, screen time and so forth. But other yeah. than messing, <laughs> right? Shit. I fucked up. Yeah. I fucked up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chris Evans as
1: the because he was kind of humanized uh a little bit in in where you you the, the movie is interesting and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about uh screenplay and story and whatnot, but this movie is really done by the characters' roles. I mean, this movie is more than anything. It's about their jobs. I mean, there's little to no humor in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so everything is based on what their roles are. So when the the central conflict comes into play, Mace is that person that's saying, you know, elite, uh, um, circumventing what our actual mission is is, is wrong, you know? I mean, we have one thing that we're supposed to do and we need to do that. Anything else you know, kind of messes it up. And obviously, you know, the, the, the the ship's doctor and then the physicists get involved and what have you. But you have that, that one character that is kind of the, the us like, no, 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 no. Like we've all seen these movies before. (laughs) If you deviate from your plan, things are going to go bad. And you also saw him earlier in the film, get mad at Kappa for, um, for being in the kind of like the, the communication room for, for like the, the entire time that limits, um Chris Evans from being able to communicate with his own family
0: which i thought was a really great scene um one of the more i guess oh, that shot that scene was really shot really well and i don't know it kind of communicated what you know what would be going on these people have been on this mission for years on the same ship, I mean, you can imagine they're probably pretty fucking sick and tired yeah. of seeing each other every day and no one else. So I think it was really, I guess, poignant in bringing out that, you know, what that would be like.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, I'd also have to mention my boy, Killian Murphy. Yeah, man. God, that, that guy is... He's fucking handsome. Yeah, you get lost in those <laughs> eyes. <laughs> those eyes? Yeah. And and his fucking cheekbones. I'm yeah. jealous of those cheekbones. Yeah. I've got I've got nothing over here. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh when he's shooting or there he's filming his message to his family and and he's got he's up against that green background yeah. his eyes are just beautiful blue like the color is so light.
1: Yeah, that I mean the the way that's that shot and the colors in that are just very, very vivid and obviously with with his eyes and I mean he does have very strong features. It, it's it, it's a it's a cool moment. Like I mean it's a really cool scene. And it's neat because it, it's a form of kind of exposition with what's going on and kind of speaking to the the audience as, you know, what we're doing, this is how it's what's happening and kind of explaining um distance and the idea of, of of the bomb, but the that that the shop just with the, the green backdrop and obviously like his blue eyes and everything were it was awesome. It was a cool scene, but across the board, I mean, there are, there are several scenes with Killian Murphy that are really really great in this film. But I think that's the the first scene.
0: I really like. I loved the then the subsequent apology scene between <laughs> between Chris Evans and Killian Murphy was, and I think Danny Boyle even mentioned this in the film. Uh, The uh, director's commentary that that was like the one moment of sort of levity Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. film was this kind of really awkward apology where it wasn't (laughs) no apology was really said, but
1: yeah, he came in to say I'm you know I'm saying my you know saying this apology and there was silence and it's like was that your apology? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: That that was that was great. Um, They both were. I mean, you could tell there was I don't know. You could really generally sense some like dislike there. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was. Pretty spot on, pretty amazing scene. One of my favorites, I think, in, in the film. Then I want to talk about uh, Mark Strong, who who we don't actually see a lot of directly in the film. We see, I mean, most of the time he's blurry yep. for the most part and in had sat in makeup for like five hours a day getting this prosthesis. But, oh man, his... His character is one of the more interesting aspects of the movie that, I don't know, takes it on kind of a different level. I don't mm-hmm. know, there's something otherworldly about him mm-hmm. that obviously the way that he's shot contributes heavily to and the dialogue he's given, which he delivers really well. But you know what's funny is it doesn't even sound, I wonder what sort of editing they put on his voice because it didn't really sound like Mark Strong
2: that much. No,
1: it doesn't really sound like Mark Strong at all. Like, and the the accent is a little bit different uh, than than how he speaks. And really, until I, honestly, like, until I did this rewatch, I guess, I don't know if I if I knew or if I had forgotten, but when I was watching the cast, I'm like, holy shit, that's Mark
0: Strong. Yeah, because the only time you really hear his voice as you're used to hearing it is whenever Kaneda, the captain, is listening to... Mm-hmm. I guess they he has a log somehow. I wonder how he even obtained that. Is can't remember where that is um, narratively in the film. If they had already docked with the Icarus or not, but I feel like Canada's listened to. His, so I guess maybe he's communicating back. Oh, it must have been a recording from, from when he was communicating back with Earth that right, they had like, recorded or something.
1: Yeah, was it like a was it the distress signal type or um, no? Because
0: he's he's recounting the story about I guess there was. Maybe, I don't know, something ended up hitting the ship mm. and they were watching it on the observation deck and you could see these fragments of something were um, hitting the ship and he's just talking about how beautiful and amazing it looked. Right. One of my other favorite scenes in the movie is uh, probably this might be actually my favorite scene is whenever later on in the film, whenever Kappa is suited up in the giant golden spacesuit. And he falls down and he's just like screaming and he's like smashing his head into like the suit visor. Just like, ah, and the suit looks so cumbersome Mm -hmm. and he's just like struggling to, to get up. And I don't know, it's just such a fucking brilliant scene. And he really just pulls it off. So well,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, I I know exactly the scene you're talking about. I'm like just the weight of, well, one, the suit and weight of the, the mission that he's trying to accomplish. And homeboys just been like, slashed right so you know he's like bloodied up right as well and lack of oxygen and all these things and he falls down in this massive suit and it's like you got to get up you got to get up and just like the, the frustration the exhaustion and it's awesome and you got the the music uh building and everything and just like the yeah um do you feel it because you i mean you what I love is after everything's gone down and they realize essentially their whole mission now is it's a form of suicide for themselves, but it's, you know, saving everybody else. But the, that moment you, you, you understand exactly what he, you know, where that frustration, where that exhaustion is and what, you know, what he has to do. And it, it's cool. Um, yeah, love it.
0: Yeah. I think you're absolutely hit it, hit the nail on the head when it's a culmination of the acting, the music, the cinematography for that scene are all just great because we get that really nice objective camera or yeah objective camera that is within the suit itself, so we're getting mm-hmm. a really mm-hmm. close up version or view of of Kappa kind of smashing his head and just the emotion and the and the stress that he's under trying to get up just a probably probably my favorite scene that actually has acting in it. There's a lot, I mean, there's tons of visual moments in the film. And I probably have, like, my you just set of notes are all on the cinematography. I really don't have a lot to say about the acting. Even though it was good, there weren't a lot of, I don't know, I at least didn't write down a lot of notes. Although I wasn't, you know, overall, everybody gave a pretty solid performance. Sure, yeah. Chris Evans and Killian and, uh, Murphy, probably the stole the show as far as acting goes, but mm-hmm. they got the most, you know, probably the most screen time as well. I think, yeah,
1: no, I, I love the, I, I loved Cliff Curtis in this film, oh, even yeah, though he was straight. in there kind of, uh, he wasn't in there nearly as much, but the, your, 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 your doctor, or your, your, uh, psychologist that's on the, on the, uh, on the ship with them, you see kind of like his journey of his obsession with the sun, kind of like take hold. And there are times where you seem like all like sunburned and his lips all busted up from, from being in that like observation room and like turning on the, uh, uh, the, the filters at a higher level. But yeah, Chris Evans and Killian Murphy definitely have more, more going on more to do in this. I, as much as I love Rose Byrne, she, I don't, I don't feel had quite the, the impact in the overall arc of the story. As much as I still enjoyed And Same thing with Michelle Yao.
3: Yeah.
0: I really loved to the the introduction of Searle because that's pretty much our first scene opens on him in the observation deck looking at the sun. And then he's which is a beautiful, beautifully shot scene. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was so cool because he's like he asked this ship, um, Icarus, he's how much, you know, what percentage is this, or something. It's like two percent brightness or like a two percent brightness of the sun he's like show me three percent and the computers or the ship's like uh no that would <laughs> yeah you, that would like blind you or, or something crazy he's like she's like you can observe two point three percent or something for 20 minutes without any permanent damage mm-hmm. and your point as well about what I love too that the continuity of like progressively it's making it obvious with his face like he's <laughs> he's peeling. And it gets progressively worse and worse Mm -hmm. as the film goes on, which I thought was a a nice little detail and way of, you know, again, showing, but not telling when it comes to the writing there.
3: Yep.
1: And, you know, a little bit then like how he's going to go. And, um, and then in the end when he's on the other ship and he just goes into the other room and basically just blasts himself. I thought that was kind of cool, but yeah. Um, other, other acting that I think of. Yeah, I mean, it, I really do think more about Kelly Murphy and Chris Evans in this. And although it, it, it's a beautiful ensemble cast, which is really, really... I mean, uh, shoot, I forget his name, but Canada, Love that actor. I, I think he was fantastic in it as well. But again, not necessarily... Um, if you're looking at it from... Is it for like, quotability, Not a ton of really great yeah, lines. true. But the... Because again, it it is so mission focused. This film. I mean, every line is kind of like plot driven. Like we we're moving the story forward. Everything that we say. So, um, so as an actor to go ahead and still make it interesting to the audience. I mean, you you, you got to deliver the goods, and I, I feel that everybody did a solid job. Even freaking Harvey, poor ass Harvey, who it's abundantly clear like when they're on Icarus true. uh Icarus 2 and they ha- they have to get back and like when they realize everything's kind of in sabotage and he's like no I need to get over I'm you know main in command uh you know I'm 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 now the guy that's in command even though he really as communications officer and communications are down he has no overall function the the idea of like he seems to be like the one person that really has that belief like he still wants to be able to go home yeah you know what i mean right like um so you you kind of you kind of feel for harvey in in that sense where like oh there is still there there is humanity in these in in these sea of scientists that were that were that were following and everything is very logical and not emotion based we to to go ahead and see a moment where a character is getting emotional i thought was kind of cool
0: yeah definitely that survival instinct i mean it would be hard to disconnect yourself from from that you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. like you've you've been trying to stay alive your entire life (laughs) you know what i mean to to sacrifice it and i think even later on in the film or at some point in the film rose burns character is talking to kappa and she's mentioning you know it's one thing to to kind of think that you're probably going to die but it's another thing to like concretely no okay that's you are absolutely going to die there is there is Mm -hmm. no escape Mm -hmm. there is no hope you know that's that's weighty yeah and i really love that emotional aspect of the film is just that that dealing with that imminent knowledge of death and knowing that there is absolutely no escape from it Mm -hmm. and it is coming and that tension that psychological and emotional tension i think maybe at least for the first two acts is what I really, one of the aspects of the film I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And I'd even like to do, I have had like spinoff ideas of writing a screenplay that kind of plays on that in a more immediate way. Mm -hmm. But I also did want to mention Kaneda, the actor is Hiroyuki Sanada. He actually was on an episode of, uh, of Westworld, Westworld in season two. Yep. Any other kind of? Did you kind of go over?
3: uh
1: Still acting wise. Want to bring it back to Chris Evans yet again? Uh, just the the scene toward the end where he has to get the the generator back in the cool, and he's essentially like killing himself. And the I loved I love that bit. I mean, it's just a heartbreaking moment of just like that that self sacrifice that 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 he's doing, and just and then puts himself back into, into the cooler, you know, like the cool-in, and just, again, the self-sacrifice and Chris Evans' um, delivery of the lines of where he, he's just freezing to death and he, he's telling Kappa that, you know, he has to uh, get to the payload. He has to go ahead and do it. And, um, and just the way that uh, they're kind of interacting because uh, Chris Evans and killian murphy obviously they were kind of adversaries in this film but just like the the, that that singular mission that they have to accomplish something they're just the um just even the way that when when you're when you're seeing killian murphy and just kind of like the the respect and the um that they have for each other it's just yeah just again very very weighted great performances from from the actors with not fantastic quotable lines but it's it's heavy it's weighted and there's yeah it's just kind of like um it's just a cool last scene that i love
0: yeah he's he's like i don't care how you do it just do it yep but uh if you're good to go let's move on to the cinematography yeah totally so the dp on the film was alwyn h kuchler um i mean visually visually is probably overall i think to me the strong point mm-hmm of the entire film. That's kind of what stands out. And I have. Scene after scene after scene. That I just absolutely loved. The visual style of. Although I would say. I, mean, You know how much of this. It's like some of the So much of this is CG. And. So it's hard to credit him specifically. Because right. there was probably a, a CG team obviously. That actually did all that aspect of it. Um, but. I'm trying to think in terms of the rest of the of the film, if there were any sort of standout shots that come to mind that weren't CG, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe one of the great ideas that they did have, was those placing the cameras inside the suits, mm-hmm. that was a really good decision overall. And then, uh, so it was shot in anamorphic as well. And that was a conscious de- decision to really th- smash the you know smash the camera on the on the close-ups mm-hmm. with huge you know huge close-ups focusing on the on the characters getting that getting that face time um, was another thing that I picked up from the director's commentary. But in terms of scenes, I mean, Canada's death scene. Yeah, maybe one of the definitely one of the standout moments. Of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Both visually, emotionally. Just very intense scene. He's uh, So they're out repairing a couple of... I guess the shield that blocks out the actual sun from hitting Icarus 1 so that they can actually survive this mission. Um, a couple of... The, I guess it has these little panels that got stuck up. So Kaneda, the captain, and... Um, Kappa roll outside in the giant golden suits and they're repairing these but eventually they're running out of time as the sun is starting to hit the, hit the shield and Kaneda pretty much sacrifices himself to save the crew and kind of lets himself go and he's just visualizing the sun and we have Searle on the comm system
3: like, Kaneda!
0: What do you see? (laughs) What do you see? Which anybody that's seen this film (laughs) probably knows exactly what we're talking about. I don't know. It's just such a, such a standout moment.
1: Yeah. And the, obviously the accompanying music that's going along with it. And again, with kind of like the, I mean, like just building and everything. And uh, yeah, Kaneda's death is certainly a memorable scene in that regard. Um, other scenes I just wanted to go ahead and even yeah, though it's okay. right at the end, still one of my favorite scenes though is when Killian Murphy does go face to face with the sun at the very end, and he's successfully um you know completed the task and and it's awesome, but just the idea of of just becoming like face to face with uh, as a physicist and a scientist uh, in their own form of like a creator i mean that, that's just a really cool moment, and just the the relief that he has and as, as you see just like the particles kind of like specking around and everything and and then uh we go back to back to earth and the the little uh i don't know more or less futuristic ipad that his sister is watching
0: another thing i in the speaking of that scene in, in the director's commentary danny boyle was mentioning that so obviously that stuff is cg so <laughs> killian murphy is pretty much just doing all that facial Mm -hmm, acting mm -hmm. based on just some bright lights in his face, which is pretty impressive because it you would never have guessed. Yeah, I mean, he pulls it off convincingly. But one of the cool things um, in this film that you don't see a lot and you may not have even noticed was right as the beginning credits are rolling and we're getting, you know, this was a Fox Searchlight film. So they actually did the fox searchlight portion of the of that in reverse so that there's a light in the horizon which i think is usually how it starts that light ends up being the sun which is like the first actual visual we see in the film which i didn't quite ever pay attention to until i watched it for the podcast
1: i love the the like the just that the opening title right there with the yeah the fox searchlight and how it's the the sun is kind of just like fading and that's what we like open on i love that i always thought that was genius oh yeah
0: it was great and i the actual credits the title credits for sunshine Mm -hmm. end up disintegrating into the sun slowly that was great too Mm -hmm. really cool beautiful just beautifully shot I love the uh, the minimalist aesthetic of it, especially. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent. The visuals were very reminiscent of uh, two thousand and one. I thought. Yeah, totally. A lot of that kind of simple, and um, even this kind of, you know, Kubrick has that one point focus. Uh, there was a little bit of that in this movie too. The uh, also the first shot of the shield when it's kind of rippling as the sun is hitting it. <laughs> Um the rest of and then the ship is heading into over the title card. Uh again, just great minimalist aesthetic. Okay, then our first actual character scene. I mentioned this was Searle. Okay, so he was viewing the sun originally at 2% brightness. 4% would result in damage to his retina. He could observe 3.1% for 30 seconds. And as he has the ship turn up the uh, observation or percentage to 3.1, the the room just like goes, fills with light. It's mm-hmm. just flooded. And you're like, holy shit. <laughs> 1.1% makes that much of a difference. That was insane to me. Because mm-hmm. you're thinking like, you know, that it felt like it was going up, I don't know, 50%. Yeah, totally, totally. And Searle at this uh, Cyril really becomes, I don't know, there's something metaphysical going on there that, you know, we eventually find out. Like maybe the same thing that happened to Pinbacker is kind of happening to Searle. He's getting seduced by the grandeur and majesty of the sun mm-hmm. and the the awe inspiring nature of it. Another great moment I loved was the shot of Mercury as the crew is passing, or the I guess it's passing in front of the sun. And we just see that little black dot just traversing over right in front of the sun. It's just a tiny little, not pinprick, but just a tiny little black dot traveling in front of the sun. Another great m- kind of minimalist visual. It was
1: cool, especially like how they just all like just shut up and watch it.
0: Yeah, it was totally silent and everybody was just awestruck by it. And I love how even Kaneda, the captain's like, I give you Mercury. (laughs) Something I noticed about the film, too, and Boyle mentions this in the director's commentary, is we have primarily blue light and yellow light. Mm -hmm. So typically the interiors of the spaceship are cold and blue And then that creates a really nice visual contrast with the, the golden light that we see whenever we encounter the sun or any sort of anything related to the sun, there's just massive amounts of golden light that creeps in.
1: Yeah. Which also makes that, I want to call it the green room, like, like even stand out even more where where you do have like the lush, like green, like plants and everything. Uh, what's that? Oh Yeah.
0: I forget what they called it too. The Oxygen Garden?
1: Yeah, yeah, the Oxygen Garden. So you do you're like hit over the face with blues and yellows all throughout this movie, but you have this Oxygen Garden of just like amazing like green, so it really makes that pop.
0: Definitely cuz there's a lot of there's even most of this ship is kind of white gray. Mhm. again, the uh, the choice to put the cameras inside the suits, the claustrophobia of that, and just seeing the, I thought it was a great touch as well, seeing kind of the sweat on Canada's face, on on, um, on Kappa's face as well, which is a great way of kind of communicating, and that's something you don't see in a lot of sci-fi, right? It's always kind of clean, and there's no such thing as, like, sweat, you know? I'm trying to think yeah. of, of a movie where someone is actually sweating in a spacesuit, or like, you know what I mean? It's Even just the, we were talking about Kappa, that scene where he falls down, like, it's so cumbersome. Like, that's such a grounded aspect of the film that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing about Danny Boyle that he does, I think, frequently is he will often have some different editing techniques, um, like split screens Mm -hmm. or things like that. So one of the little details that I kind of enjoyed was the sort of computer overlays that we see because some of the the crew were kind of observing um, Kaneda and, and Kappa as they're out there and they can kind of see their faces and so forth. And there was like a little screen overlay. I thought that was kind of a nice touch and just a different way or interesting visual approach. Mm -hmm. Rather than just having maybe dialogue back and forth, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe you know, long shots of them,
2: but I thought including that was was a nice touch. Yeah, all
0: the shots of from in space looking at the sun, any of that stuff is all just stunningly beautiful. Um. Kaneda's face in in the suit as the sun is starting to creep over the horizon of the shield, and you can see some re- of it reflected in his visor. Oh, I love that part. Yeah, that may that's one of the yeah. favorite visual moments. And they, I, fi- and they filmed all of this like what
1: like in London and what I, I can't remember what studio that is, but um. But just, yeah, all that. I mean, everything that he did. Obviously, you have a you know, ton of CG and everything, but where they, they shot everything was in... What the heck is any of that studio? Okay, yeah,
3: I can't to remember it. the name.
0: Yeah. But pretty cool that they didn't actually make the movie in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, another great scene is Canada's first hit, when we see him in the observation room, because he's kind of picked up on Searle's, like Searle is like, trying to get, is basically getting everybody to go check it out and mm-hmm. Then Canada is sort of seduced as well and he's got his sunglasses on but we see like that <laughs> close up <laughs> shot of his eyeball. Mhm. That I thought was was really cool. Before Michelle
2: rolls in and she's like, "Oh dr- god, drop drop the percentage there, Icarus." I love
0: to Later on in the film, it's whenever Kappa is and opens the airlock, and all of the shit comes pouring out of the or come, get, it's all getting sucked out right into space. Um, something about the frantic nature of it, and then like we even have a dummy that's supposed to be Michelle Yeoh comes like tumbling by. Yeah, just towards the end of that.
3: Boom!
1: Yeah, just just poor dead, you know, um,
0: Corazon just gets
1: like you know uh, pulled all over the place. Yeah.
0: I'd be interested. They didn't go into a lot of how that was achieved, but I'm re- now that I think about it, I'm super curious about how they pulled that off. Like mm-hmm. all that kind of shit flying yeah. by. Like how do you do that? Did you I guess you have a huge fan at like one end and you just blow a bunch of stuff past? That's probably how they did it. Mm-hmm. Know, it was just huge fans. One thing that I didn't care for visually was that they whenever Harvey dies and we kind of see him kind of freeze up, and we see his face up close. I thought that was just kind of like meh. They could have could have done without that. What um, just to see him? You know what I mean? Because we we get that close up of his face, and he's like kind of turning blue and, and like freezing over. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just looks it looks kind of kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. On this most recent watch, I did like though like it. And then, again, it was sort of cheesy, too, because he gets kind of hit by the comm tower, like his arm or something. Yeah. And then the kind of blood starts floating out. Um, I did like, though, the effect of him, like, once he reaches outside of the coverage of the shield, that he, like, disintegrates until, like, a poof. And he's gone. Poor Harvey. <laughs> right. Another great visual was whenever they discover Trey's dead body, the birds, those are like a kind of uh, frosted glass behind him. And we have those birds that are somehow, I guess they have, it's probably from their holodeck, right? They have sort of this VR room that they can go into. So I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, it's the same room that um, Mace was looking at the waves in earlier.
0: Yeah. So that was kind of a cool effect. It, Kind of even looked like they were, they probably had like live birds in there or something to achieve that effect. Mm-hmm. Kappa leaping across to the payload from Icarus in the giant suit. That was awesome. That was awesome. The scale of
2: it and his just tiny silhouette floating across. That was brilliant. In the scene where Corazon discovers the uh, seedling,
0: Danny Boyle was talking about how difficult it was to get that shot and how they had to do a special lens and the focus puller had to be super skillful to pull that off. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, she's like dramatically killed by Pinbacker there with that crazy blade. There's a lot of nice... Handheld work in the film visually.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just here and there, some nice handheld that I really liked. Um, again, back to Corazon, so she, it was really cool that she's kind of in that lotus position, like almost meditating with a right, little with, with seedling the, yeah. in her hand. And I don't just something about that shot. And her head's kind of slumped over a little bit. That was a good one. Um she's just yeah, that's pretty much all the the scenes that kind of stood out for me visually.
1: I mean, you just you just listed a good dozen or so of uh, <laughs> right. of scenes there. I mean, and that's just one of the one of the things about this movie that there are just some really beautifully shot scenes and now granted a lot of it had there was a, obviously a lot of CG going on in what you saw but just the way they captured everything and the, and the framing of everything and just the the whole how they just dress the whole scenes. I mean, it, it's a beautiful film to look at. Say what you mm-hmm. want about the, the third act or, <laughs> right. you know, uh, kind of turning into a slight slasher type film, but the movie is
0: beautiful to look at. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about editing. I know we usually don't delve into editing all that much, but I think it was definitely a strong component of the film that contributed to the overall success. And again, one of those aspects is kind of like what Boyle, I think, t- is known for is a lot of the the split screen sort of flourishes in some of the more computerized effects that they did to kind of give that UI feel and mm-hmm. some of the communications and, and visuals related to Icarus 2. Icarus um, like when Canada's watching um, Pinbacker's video, there's that split screen there. Um, the sound editing in the film dude so good really really especially in all of the space scenes the sound work they did there was was brilliant Mm -hmm. and really really uh, contributed to the mood was definitely like without that sound editing movie would not have been success as successful even with the beautiful visuals it's like with the sound combined with it, it just took it to that, to another level. Do the movies a lot of fun if you've got like good speakers? Oh, I bet. Like the hum, the hum of the sun and Mm -hmm. the movements in space. And then, of course, like I mentioned,
1: even the shield, like when they, um, just the the sound of it. like Yeah, uh, that
0: kind of, as the sun is hitting it and mm -hmm. those panels are kind of flipping. Yeah, that was great. Um, The title card where the, the, Title is melting into the sun, and the way that they did the fox searchlight, which I already mentioned, but that's that's really more editing, editing and visually, but really great choices. Then I have some some miscellaneous stuff. Let's hear it. So we already talked about the sh- the film being shot in Britain, um, about them having a holodeck sort of on the on the ship. Um, what I thought was kind of cool about this is the, I, you know, them sort of projecting out, okay, which countries 50 years in the future would have the wherewithal and the technology and the ability to, to pull off this kind of mission. And so obviously like China, Japan, the U S I think are the kind of the primary ones, but there's some nice little details, not only in having the casting be international, but also, you can see—I don't know if it's Japanese or Chinese script—on one of the golden suits. There's mm-hmm, just a tiny mm-hmm. little emblem that I caught. That was a with nice little detail there. Um, <laughs> another random—I didn't know where to stick this—but whenever they r- rip off Pinbacker's arm skin, oh dude, oh, they're just like, <laughs> and, and and again, go back to like the
1: sound. Just even, just like that, you know, that was that was nasty, and. The editing, the way, just the kind of like the little, uh, little cuts that they were doing, just and like the little freeze, uh, shots of him like, like grimacing in the pain, and just the, the whole editing and the sound of that of that shot is just really really stellar.
0: And then uh, at the ending, so we th- see the three obelisks in the scene where his sister is receiving the message, and we see the sunrise definitely a, i think a call out or homage to the obelisk in, in 2001
2: mm-hmm, Space Odyssey,
0: mm-hmm. yeah 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 um the final credit song peggy Seuss by underworld comes in with that just loud that like guitar riff ja, na, 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 na. that was great
1: yeah um and that was i don't know if it was in like an intentional throwback where he just enjoyed uh, working with Underworld uh, previously. But yeah, that just, that's uh born Slippy was like the closing song in train spotting that he had done like a
0: decade earlier. I need to go back and rewatch train spotting. It's been a long time, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the director's commentary, Danny Boyle is kind of referencing that alien Solaris in 2001 are definitely like the three in the sort of canon of the serious sci-fi world that you sort of are always, you know, always thinking about or being compared to and what have you. And I really think that it really is. It's like you take those three movies and you kind of put them in a blender and sprinkle some gold flakes in there and you've you've got sunshine in some (laughs) ways. You know what I mean? (laughs) Event Horizon too. Did you ever see that? Ah oh, man, I did. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, for some reason too, I always get Event Horizon mixed up with that movie Sphere. Oh yeah, for yeah. For some yeah. reason, yeah. I don't know. They came out around the same time.
1: Yeah, like Pinbacker is straight up like who was it? Like Sam Neill, like Mr. Creepy Eyes um, from uh, Jurassic Park. He, like Sam Neill plays like the like the antagonist in Event Horizon, and Pinbacker is kind of like that that weird. Dude, that movie. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. The only time I ever think about that movie is when I revisit Sunshine. Was,
0: is Event Horizon, did it come out around the same time as Sunshine? Because I was trying to think. No, there, no, no, There no. was like another, it was, you know what I mean? Because we had a whole series of these films where there was like the illusionist and the prestige. Yeah. And like, uh, God, there was an, another one even. It was like the day after tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Like there was only, yeah, yeah, yeah. for a while there it was different studios were putting out the same premise. Dante's
1: Peak and Volcano. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, the, was it
0: the core? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. Or did that come out later? I feel, like I don't know. For some reason, I feel like there was another similar save the world sort of movie right. that was sci-fi. I'm going to check this. I'm going to look up the core and see. Okay. Cause sunshine came out in 2007. Oh no, the core had come out in 2003. So it definitely wasn't that. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm thinking about. Maybe it was event horizon. When did Event Horizon come out?
1: I'm I'm thinking it was like '96, '97. Yeah, maybe. Know. Yeah, 90, it was ninety seven. Huh. I wonder what the fuck I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's that that movie, Event Horizon. Yeah. Terrifying movie. Um I haven't I haven't seen the movie in like 20 years, but I just remember watching it.
0: I vaguely vaguely remember that but like I said that for some reason I get that in Sphere mixed up I think those did come out around the same time or something mm-hmm. but uh, Boyle mentioned they didn't have enough budget to create Icarus 2 like another ship so they had to kind of improvise
1: because yeah, what the budget was somewhere in like the 20s like 20 million some something around there
0: look at it details
1: i'm gonna say like 25 million i'm just gonna go ballpark
0: 26 million pounds
2: so all right so, so yep
1: yeah. all right so 26 million pounds like so like 31 32 million dollars if you have any like
0: which is pretty low for yeah it. i mean that's super low especially to pull off. i mean i guess
1: try getting yeah try getting uh chris evans uh to do this <laughs> <right>? movie now <laughs> seriously
0: um damn it's pretty wild although man i don't know i think the it's like 1.5 pounds for every dollar roughly at this time I and mean, back then i think the pound was way stronger than it is now mm-hmm. it might have even been like 2 to 1 so it might have wound up being closer to 50 million dollars or so but still that's not a huge budget yeah and what's great too is like the amount that they did spend on CG, like it never gets, you know, I, I often, to me, I want practical effects almost like I just prefer that hands down over CG, but they really pulled it off well in this film. So I'm thinking, you know, something like fucking like, what is it? Aquaman. I haven't seen it yet, but me neither. just <laughs> seeing the trailer, it's just like. That's just like whoa, whoa, t- way, way overdoing do- the CGI for me. I just, I just don't like it. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I'm with you. Just even watching the trailers for Aquaman, I right. really don't want to crap on a movie <laughs> I haven't seen, but uh, hey, a lot of people have enjoyed it. But yeah, just the, just looking at the trailers, it's just like it, it just, it's over the top. According to like the exchange rate website, twenty six million pounds today is like thirty three and a half million okay, dollars. So, wow! Well,
2: so who I'm, knows what I, it
1: was? You know, ten, eleven years ago, it very well yeah, could have probably
0: been probably somewhere in there. That it's in that ballpark. Yeah,
1: you're right. Okay. Either it regardless, no need to split hairs. It it was uh, you know uh, certainly made for a whole lot less than other 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 films of its of its time. I mean, it's a Fox Searchlight film, so it's not. Yeah, that's you know, true. It's not. Going to be rolling in the cash.
0: Yeah. Um. So I thought it was interesting. The director's commentary, Danny Boyle, mentioned that scene where where Searle's Cyril, death scene really. He's talking about how the whole crew is all like in these kind of like biohazard style suits because everything is covered in dust. Mm-hmm. And, and Cliff Curtis is just there like with sunglasses on yeah, and maybe some some cotton up his nose. And they just like. Blast him with all this dust yeah. as the sun engulfs him. That was
1: so cool, though.
0: thought it was interesting as well that they had the actress that voiced Icarus one there on set, speaking to the characters mm-hmm. via microphone, which I thought was a really a good choice on Boyle's behalf and really made it work. Probably helped out the actors more than anything, having, you know having a body to focus on.
1: What I like about it is, I mean, this, you know, the whole idea of like Icarus uh, as a character, it, it it predates Siri and Alexa and everything. And a lot of like ship computers that spoke that, that we've seen in other movies, they are a little bit more robotic in the way that they communicate to people yeah. where Icarus, the kind of the, um, the AI and just the, kind of like the human way of kind of speaking. It was, it was very like Siri and Alexa and just the way that, she,
0: okay, sure.
1: You know, <laughs> right.
0: no like, Cassie, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. But not, you know, not like, what was it? Hal, you know, yeah, right. uh, you know, wasn't like, no Dave, you know, like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was more conversational. Was kind of warm, yeah. Yeah.
0: There was a humanity to it. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. I didn't even, and, yeah, and, I didn't even think about that. And
1: then just even the way that she's like, you're dying. You know, like uh, when when she's like, you know, you're all, you know, like uh, just the way that she'd mentioned that everybody in the crew is dying and just the way that she that Icarus Icarus says it. She the the actress just gave Icarus a very like human um, way of being a robot, which I thought was really cool. And especially the way again, the way that AI has evolved in our our life and just how it how it's becoming more and more conversational and like in human
0: sounding. Um, Then I have, I have a couple of directing notes I wanted to talk about. Um, A lot of these were kind of elucidated when I was listening to the director's commentary, but I thought were were worth mentioning just to give some insight. Uh, I thought it was funny. He Boyle was talking about one of the biggest like or like his job (laughs) on set was to like, make sure that all the characters had the right eyelines when they were looking at some of the cg things yeah which i thought was was pretty funny. i remember that yeah, yeah yeah and just like a little directorial n- note that you know you don't oftentimes you don't think about that sort of thing it's like how do you really pull off having giving everyone a consistent eyeline mm-hmm. whenever they're not really like looking at the finished product like right. we are as the audience yep Another little note on that, and I don't this is more maybe more like continuity, but we'll we'll give it, you know, to the director is one of the really neat little details that they did was Whenever Mace is going to kill Trey and he opens up the drawer, there's so Trey had used one scalpel supposedly And then Pinbacker took another one. So there's like two, there's two scalpels missing from that drawer as Mm -hmm. he opens it up. Yep. And that's like a really, you know, really huge clue that something's up. Yep. But you don't really catch it at the time. It's like just such a fleeting little detail. But I think a great one of continuity on rewatch. Keep an eye out for that. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It is a great like just like film nugget right there just to show like the, the missing scalpel or whatever it was, you know, whatever that knife was that was missing. I thought it was always awesome. And it gives you just that that little hint, that little that little taste, little Hitchcockian kind of like. Right. Like, hey, I'm giving you kind I'm of g- a MacGuffin. Yeah, or... I'm giving you something right there. Do you see it?
0: Or Chekhov's Chekhov's. That's Chekhov's it. it. Yeah, scalpel. Chekhov. There you go. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to go on to writing. If you are okay, sure, yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, what I thought was funny, according to Danny Boyle, that he kind of said that in terms of, I guess, the writing, there's three components in a, in a movie like this. There's the ship, the mission, and the signal, and those are like kind of the the standard tropes, I guess, of mm-hmm. of a film like this. Like these are the things that are always sort of included. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're on a mission. They get some sort of signal, and da-da-da. Yeah. I think, obviously, when you talk about the writing on this film, you have to bring up the third act that everyone bitches about. Um, a lot of complaints about, like you had mentioned, kind of switching tones and going into more of a slasher film. Ah, it's like, I'm I'm so torn on that, because... I do, especially after listening to the director's commentary, I kind of get a little bit more appreciation for what they were, what he was going for with the way that, um, pinbacker was displayed and sort of giving it this other worldliness. Um, but I think he even noticed or, you know, noted that it was a huge switch in sort of, you know, for the first two acts were super grounded. Everything's pretty realistic and then we go off on this sort of weirder. Um, you know, it's like he's he's not a monster, but he's filmed like he sort of is. I don't know. It's just a weird. Um, I don't know if it. I don't know if it 100 percent worked, but. I don't know. See, for me, like the more
1: that I've seen this movie and the more I've just like really like read about this film and the more I've just kind of like come to appreciate the film, the more I, I feel that you kind of have to switch it to, you know, kind of change it from like the, the sun being the antagonist to having a more or, organic kind of antagonist and having somebody that what happens to what happens to Searle or Canada if they, if they're kind of like stuck in limbo, you know, like, yeah. It, so, and, and this, this is it, this is what happens. I mean, this is what happened to pinbacker and I, and the, for me, it just adds even more weight to like why it's important that they do, com, you know, complete their mission. and, the and then you get into different uh themes you can talk about you know like you know man versus nature and uh you know science versus religion all these different things that that i feel that actually the more that i watch it the more i feel that pinbacker does work and fuck you know uh roger ebert and his you know getting all (laughs) pissed off about the uh, like the third act i remember being like in undergrad and um one of the film classes, somebody said like the same thing. And it's like, dude, you know, like please, whatever. Um, I think you're, you think you're over complicating this. I, 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 for me, I buy it. I think there have been times where I've been maybe influenced on people's perspective, but I, I, I think it works. And I think you are given enough earlier on to see how, how one's, you know, obsession and fixation and, um, with the sun can kind of get hold of them. And then especially when you, the, the, yeah. Um, I don't really want to go off on a complete uh, <laughs> tangent, but I, I don't have a problem with the, I would say slight tonal shift. I mean, where, where, where is it going to go? I mean, you yeah. you, ha- you have to have a, a, a moment where, you know, like they are going to be forced to make a decision on, on, on the mission. So and it wasn't it wasn't totally like Alien or some of these other other sci-fi movies. So there it is a little bit different. Nothing against Alien, but what we're talking about, like you have the ship, you have, you know, the the signal and everything. So if you are gonna have that signal, you have to have an antagonist. So I'm I'm for me, I, I like the idea of a, a person who's just gotten gotten a little too close to the sun as opposed to <laughs> a um, you know, just another like space monster.
0: Right. I wonder more than is it is it the execution because I don't think on the page having pinbacker become the an antagonist is that like I could see it working better. It is it the visual like the way he's filmed that makes him more monstrous seeming than human. Is that mm-hmm. maybe what bothers people? Perhaps you know. Perhaps I think some of that also has to have to do with budget. True.
1: Um, yeah. But I I, I don't know. I'd uh, be more interested to hear hear somebody's take on that that didn't enjoy the movie, that didn't like it. uh. Right.
0: So I'm thinking, yeah, on the the surface, like I could see it's it's not a bad way to do things. It's kind of an interesting way, but I think maybe it's the the way that it's shot Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. more distracting and kind of takes it off into this. Because, yeah, it's kind of the, it's more so that, yeah, we're in this very grounded world, and then the way that they shoot Pinbacker makes it seem like there's some sort of metaphysical aspect to it. Right, that, right, yeah. Which is kind of cool, but I don't know, it just, dis, it's disjointed to, to some degree, like I could see that argument. Um, I think it's a valid one, I don't, you know, I'm not fully, like, I'm 50-50 on it, but it, yeah, I'm thinking it's maybe the visual style was mm-hmm. more distracting Than like they could have just had him be, you know, look normal and be a regular actor. You know, right. Sure. And I think maybe that would have fit the tone a little bit better without all of that and making him seem more monstrous and and weird. Although that did give some, I guess, justification for why, like how deranged he really was from like totally like bathing and sunbathing. Yeah, (laughs) I'll call it. Yeah for lack of a better word, like sunbathing in the nude, just rolling around, man. Like, God, what are you, what are you doing? And like, is like your junk, is, it, is he burned down there too? I guess yeah, he is. You yeah. Know? He's like totally, yeah. Gross. <laughs> like practically, how do you, uh, what does it feel like to, how do you pee and poop? And how the fuck did he survive for seven years? Yeah. Um, <laughs> On his own, you know? i th- I.
1: <laughs> he has his own he had his own motivation, I guess, for him to be the the last the last man. Yeah, the last man so he can, you know, come face to face with with God, right? So
0: I did think uh in terms of writing, moving on from that, you know, obviously the, the big point um about the idea of having Mercury be the genesis for how they pick up the signal from Icarus one was a pretty clever, cl- clever little mm-hmm. way to like, that's a good way to structure that, you know, from a writing standpoint in terms yeah. of the plot. That was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, if everyone had listened to mace, then we really wouldn't have no a movie. Shit. If it, you know, like <laughs> there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm no skilled screenwriter, but I don't know that. Eh, I mean, pretty much any film has that sort of weakness of like, if this didn't happen, we don't have a movie. So I won't go too far into that. Um,
2: um,
0: I, I was kind of surprised though that he would be the only one opposed to rendezvousing with Icarus One. Like, I I felt like Capo would probably be a little bit more skeptical about that move and the captain as well. Like the captain leaving it up to Kappa to decide like, what the fuck mm-hmm. that seemed like kind of bullshit to me, but that's not, I don't if that's not really writing. It kind of is what it isn't, you know? Right.
1: I think that's a poor leadership decision <clears throat> yeah, is seriously. to go yeah, what ahead the fuck? and fuck. Yeah. Now granted, I, I, you know, I understand the idea to leave it up to the, the smartest mind on the ship. You know, you're a physicist, but you're still the captain, bro.
0: Some of the dialogue, um, that pinbacker has is I fucking, I definitely love the dialogue that he delivers for the most part. It's all fucking really metaphysical yep. and, and profound sounding. Um, He's talking about all our hopes, all our dreams are foolish in the face of this. We are dust and nothing more. And to this dust we will return. Mm-hmm. When he chooses for us to die, it is <laughs> not our place to challenge God. Six and a half, okay, six and a half years ago, the messenger recorded. He had succumbed to some sun-induced madness.
1: Yeah. So what I also like about, about our introduction to pinbacker is right when we first see him he's like what like he's in that observation room right that's when yeah, we really laying, see him he's laying on his yeah. side and it's Capus so freaking in. bright and everything and it's just a, a little it's like flipping a trope completely upside down right you know like where your your villain comes out of the shadows in this case <laughs> oh yeah good call in this case your, your villain is coming out of the sunlight you know and, and that's just such a neat thing especially in in your 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 space sci-fi movies, right? Now we can go, you know, you can kind of use this movie in that in that overall genre, but this is a nice way to kind of flip a trophy uh and just kind of say, hey, you know, we'll give you I'm gonna give you in fact I'm gonna give you both antagonists. I'm gonna give you the sun and then I'm gonna go ahead and give you um Pinbacker in one shot. I just thought that was really, really cool.
0: And given that too, um Searle even mentions a little bit about that too, because he's talking about when he's telling the rest of the crew about observing the sun and he's like saying that dark, you know, darkness and sensory deprivation is like the lack of something like it's it's gone. But whenever you're observing something like the sun, it's like it, it envelops you like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's not a void. It's more of like you're in, you're in something than being separated from. Um, Another little aspect of the of the story that I thought was pretty cool was, whenever they find all of the crew aside from Pinbacker in the observation deck, and they're all dead. Like they had sort of, I don't know if had they have they given up? Are they de- as demented as Pinbacker is and just decided to die? Like, what's why didn't Pinbacker kill himself? Why did he choose to live? Like, what's what was the dynamic there? With the crew and Pinbacker, I, I'm so, so curious about that unanswered question. Mm-hmm. The uh, the dramatic tension with the argument between Harvey and Kappa as he's putting on the suit. Whenever they're going to have to make their insane because the I guess the airlock seal had broken, so they're going to have to pretty much blast themselves across two Icarus, one, and they've only got one suit. Um, That was really well-written, dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. A way to really amp up the stakes. The stakes are high. The emotions are high. It's, you know, I don't know. It's like this whole mission is just fucking crazy and claustrophobic, and one thing going wrong after another. Yeah, we had already lost the
1: captain. Um, Essentially, um, Cyril was also uh, done because he was going yeah, so to stay behind behind. He had to stay behind. So, you know, crew members are dropping like flies and you know, when three people are about to launched out, you're going to lose somebody else.
2: Right.
0: Searle, uh, welcome. He kind of welcomes the death though. He goes, of course, and like goes to the observation deck, And then ends up dying as the sun envelops Icarus 1. It's a great death scene. Mm -hmm. Good choice, good character writing. Really consistent with what we've seen from him throughout the film. Mm -hmm. Whenever um, Kappa does discover Pinbacker, I thought it was great. The line from Pinbacker is like, are you an angel? (laughs) And ask him if the time had come. And Then he's I don't know if he says it then or he's got this other line at the end of time a moment will come when one ju- just one man remains. the moment will pass, and man will be gone. there will be nothing to show we were ever here except stardust, the last man alone with God <laughs> that's the kind of shit I like really. that's like right <laughs> up my alley that kind that's of the kind profound, of shit yeah, I like yeah could have totally like i I probably totally would have been like pinbacker and just fucking turn into a lunatic sun (laughs) worshiper. (laughs) Have you ever heard, actually, I forgot to mention this, but um, I feel like George Carlin has this bit about the sun and God. Maybe we should, should have saved that for the themes, but he's basically talking about, you know, if you think about it, the sun is pretty much our God because without it, you know, We don't have anything. We don't have life on Earth. No, you know, all life on Earth is predicated on, or primarily, I guess, not all. I guess, you know, some of the things that live at the deep sea vents and shit Mm -hmm. survive without sunlight. But as far as human beings, we wouldn't be here without the sun sustaining us and all that. Yep. Um, I'll have to find the bit and put it in the show notes, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But he goes through, he gives a pretty strong case for the sun being God. And it even has, like, some real-world implications because I feel like the Egyptians, like... Ra. Ra's the sun god. Yep. And, I don't know, there's a bunch of... And there's a lot of tie-ins, even with, like, Jesus and the winter solstice and all this shit, like kind of all sort of fits together Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the mythology of God throughout history. Um, I don't know if this is writing or if this is again, directing, but I thought it was really good that whenever, whenever Kappa gets back to the payload, you see that bloody handprint as he's entering.
3: Mm-hmm. I thought
0: it was a good way to, it's like letting you know that, okay, well, something's up like pinbackers there. What's this, or where's this handprint coming from? Like something's up, you know, good right. visual cue, good bit of writing or whomever made that choice. I don't know if it's writing, directing.
1: Now did, did uh, Kappa see the hand? I'm not Sure because i'm not quite sure i mean simply put like if the character if the character sees it and reacts to it then yeah. most definitely it's writing because of the fact that you know uh, this happens and the character sees that yeah um then i mean that's that's something that would be kind of written but either way i mean that that, that i think that's still story because of the fact otherwise pinbacker is just rel you know arbitrarily on on the payload
3: yeah
0: it was a nice little clue. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's
1: hard to. I, I'm. I'm going with writing on that one. I'm going <laughs> with Alex Garland on that one. I,
0: I'm unsure because the way that the camera setup is is, we like if we're the camera, Kappa is approaching us and the bloody handprint is on the wall as he's emerging. Like it's too. Like he, Kappa's emerging from the like basically the tunnel to enter, and the bloody handprint is on the wall that he's coming out of so I don't know if he necessarily makes eye contact Mm -hmm. it's probably more so a visual clue for us the viewer Danny Boyle had some really good comments here he he talks about he says that out of chaos horror and terror indescribable energy and force comes something beautiful a meeting of science and nature Pinbacker has turned his back on science having seen the light <laughs> which I thought was a pretty cool mm-hmm. way to sort of characterize Pinbacker and place it, give him a little bit more context for you know what the motivation was
2: For 7 years I spoke with God He told me to take us all back to heaven
0: Any screenwriting notes you want to add not necessarily. Not not a mess, no. All right. Ready to finish up on some themes here, let's bro? Let's do it. All right. Uh, let's see. We already talked about Searle talking about the absence and presence and the light enveloping you. Um, I thought it was interesting that the scene with Kappa having his dream where he's sort of falling into the sun. And then Cassie asks him or mentions that she, the only dream she mm-hmm. ever has is about the surf of the surface of the sun. And when you tie that to the way that Searle and Kaneda and obviously Pinbacker are all entranced by the sun. um, I don't know. There's something about that movie. That's just like the, Again, the awe, the awe of the sun and how powerful it is and how just, how it just looms out there so large in Mm -hmm. their psyches.
2: I don't know. I know I'm going with that, but (laughs) I thought that was just an interesting
0: kind of to tie everything together. Like what, is there something, is there something metaphysical that is happening to these people out there?
2: Was it an open question or <laughs> I don't know. So,
1: so, I mean, for, I guess for me, I mean, these, I mean, they're all, they're all scientists in one way or another. So, I mean, they're, I think they're gonna be grounded in a different thing than maybe like theological like perspective. So I, I feel that the sun, especially for them in, in, in this world where the sun is dying, this is, this is like this great, this is their, their God, you know, and, 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 to, you know, kind of like touch base on, uh bring it back to you, like the George Carlin thing. I mean, this is, this is the creator, right? The the sun, everything that they have is like the creator. So, and they've got this, this dying creator and they're going to go ahead and for lack of a better term, like, you know, give it a, uh, you know, a little, a little, little kickstart. Yeah. Um I
0: already mentioned this, but I think I'd like to reiterate this idea, the conversation Cassie has with Kappa about the difference between kind of thinking you're going to die right. and then knowing you're going to die. yeah, And oh, that's just, to me, such a powerful idea. And I think maybe it's even just in my own yeah. life, just thinking about, you know, as I'm getting a little bit older, that, you know, that sort of vagueness of that I'm going to die is becoming, I think, more and more like it's getting to that point Mm -hmm. where it's becoming more of a reality and it's more on my mind than obviously like when i was you know seven or eight years old it's like such a far it's such an abstraction that it's not it's not really real and as the older i get like it death the idea of death and end is like becoming more and more real and get it's getting more concrete i think especially with my my father being ill so i don't know right I like that idea. I'd, like I said, I'd love to play with that idea in a film, even just, and that'd be the kind of singular focus from a theme, thematic standpoint is how do people overcome the concrete knowledge that their death is like is absolutely imminent and there's, there's really, there's no escape from it. There's no way to prolong it. There's like, you're just, you know what I mean? You're just out there in a ship no food, no water, not enough oxygen like that. Oh, that's just, whew. <laughs> yeah, that's intensity.
1: Yeah. You, um, just you talking right there just reminds me of, I don't know. <laughs> um, the nineties, uh, comedy. What about Bob? Where, uh, Ziggy's talking. It's like, you are going to die. We're all going to die. Um, little Bill Murray movie, but yeah. So just like the, the whole idea of just that, that knowledge that you're, 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 you're going to die. And how that that can affect how you how you perceive things and how you go ahead and move forward with, especially in in this case of of tasks where it's no longer about you, but about a greater, a, a greater, a greater function. And in this in this point, um, we realize like Kappa's motivation is, you know, for his sister and I guess his nieces and nephews or whatever it is, you know, so just that that's. Just became like, why again, when he, when he falls over in the suit, you know, like he can't fail. He has to go ahead and do this. He has to be the one that's now going to go ahead and help everybody else with, without any idea of, uh, self-benefit because there is nothing. I mean, he's, he's literally about to go ahead and, you know, say what's up to directly to the sun.
0: Right. Damn. Yeah, that is a fucking great scene when he falls down. Ah, oh, so, so good. mm <laughs> Just love it, man. i I can see it in my head right now. It just him, like smashing his head. Duh, duh. Yeah, and you're duh. in. You're in the suit with him, <laughs> right? which
1: is the best part yeah, about it. You know, exactly. you're not seen like as a third party. You're like you're, like, you know, you're right there in it with him.
0: I did like as well from a thematic standpoint the discussion. I forget the context of this, but it's Mace talking to Kappa. And he's like, he says, "Fuck you, Kappa. What are you trying to do? Remind us of our lost humanity."
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: Because, and that's a constant theme too, is just this war between the rational and like the emotion, and the the battle between your own individual survival instinct and the greater purpose of that mission, and the really the challenge. And this, I guess, this goes back too, though, to knowing you're going to die, like in a, in a theoretical sense. And then having like that immediacy of knowing you're going to die. Like those are very different. Like, and yeah, it's like, it, it feels so far away probably at the beginning of that mission, but towards the end of it, it's like that shit is getting closer and closer and things have gone, you know, everything's gone to hell, you know? Yeah. But I thought that was, I don't know, that just pointed to something like, how do you, how do you shut off that survival instinct? You know what I mean? Because we see this with um Harvey. You know, he's like, I he wants to get in that suit, man. Yeah. He doesn't, he yep. doesn't care. Like, <laughs> even though he's and ironically, he's the captain of the mission at that point. And still that survival instinct is so it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could you not like how could you turn off <laughs> you know what i mean like i i simply i empathize with that desire to get in that suit yep you know what i mean even even with the context of it because yeah it's like oh yeah this noble idea of sacrificing yourself for all of humanity yeah that's all that's all great and good until the reality of it hits yep. you know that's and maybe that's that bitter sweet or that tension between those those things is really maybe the crux of the emotional impact of this film for me.
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I
0: don't know. I thought it was interesting, too, that this film kind of, and you mentioned a little bit about man versus nature, but I think it's interesting that there's a twist in a way that it starts out as man versus nature, but then it ends as man versus man. And even then man at war with himself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways.
1: And then still then, I mean, you still also have like the, the science versus religion kind of like taxed in there as well. When you've got the, you, you've got pinbacker versus I mean, it's man versus man, but like just the, what the motivations are for these for pinbacker versus
0: uh Kappa. Yeah, I'm curious to I want to unpack that a little. What do you what do you think about Pinbacker's motivation? Is he just like why does he desire the apocalypse? Yeah. Why does he want to end us? What is his motivation, do you think? What do I think? It's not is... really spelled out, you know.
1: Yeah. Um well other than so the his whole idea of ending Mankind, I think, is more about like him being the—he's that one that's going to meet the meet the creator. He's gonna, you know. Uh, so when he asks, uh, "Who is it? Is it Cassie that he asks if uh, if, uh, if she's an angel, or is that Ka- no? That's Kappa. Kappa. That's yeah, Kappa. Kappa. Um, and then just everything that he says, it, it it just seems like he's yeah, he's I don't know if he he's looking at God or now like if the sun itself has become. God, I I don't know, but he he yeah I mean he's turned his whole idea again you know like opposite of uh, saving mankind, but ensuring that he's the, the the final representation of mankind when he meets the creator. It's it's a different different thing where he's I don't know he he does he's not trying to meet the creator as like a um, a servant or an adversary, but I I, I don't know.
0: I, I, I don't know
1: how to really make sense of. Yeah.
0: It's like, why does he feel the responsibility? Is it, is it because he, does it have to do like I don't know. It's, it's even though he, it's got that he's kind of in, enamored with this idea of the sun as the deity. His behavior is very, gives me more of a nihilism mm-hmm. because he doesn't want he wants the world he wants for everything to be destroyed he doesn't want man or science to interfere with the destiny of destruction but is that like is his position that or is the idea that we shouldn't interfere with nature. We should meddle with nature. Or is it that, regardless, like this is only, you know, we're gonna reignite the sun, but eventually the sun is gonna it's gonna burn out. You know? Right. Like eventually there will be death. Yep. And so what's the point of even reigniting it? Like let's just go back to go back to being stardust. It's an interesting I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I think is maybe that the message is I don't know, he's he's locked on that destruct destructive nihilistic path, but then Kappa is the is the he's really the savior. Huh. Is Kappa like a Christ figure? Uh I don't think so. Um I mean I guess they in some ways they all are.
3: So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, not Christ, because, I mean, he's not killing himself for sins or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, um, true.
0: He's... But maybe he is, in a sense, he's the representative sacrifice for all of mankind, in that sense, more so than maybe, like, the directly, like, you're thinking of, a propitiation, mm-hmm. a sacrifice in that sense. But he is sacrificing himself to give humanity life, so uh, it's almost like ah, I ha- interesting. Okay, how about this? So talk to me, lay it on <laughs> me. What you got? Okay, because uh, I would just had this thought of Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to humans. So maybe that's in a sense, like in a metaphorical sense, that's what Kappa is doing. He is giving us the fire, literally. You know what I mean? He's He's providing humanity with fire by reigniting the sun. And Pinbacker is the the like Zeus or the whatever gods that punish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Prometheus ended up getting punished. He was chained to the rock, and then the the bird or the raven, whatever the fuck it was, would tear out his guts every day. Yeah. Um, so that was his punishment for bringing man fire. So maybe that's the role that that Pinbacker represents is like the the pantheon of the gods it's an interesting take i don't know just kind of makes sense a little bit yeah with the the you know what i mean in a loose sense with the fire element i don't know but i, I mean i do love the random shit that pinbacker is spouting at all sounds pretty profound <laughs> and fucking cool it's right up my alley But uh, I don't know, I I really enjoy, I mean, I love this movie before, you know, we talked about it, or doing a a podcast on it, Um, it's definitely up there, Um, probably not in my top 10, but it's like probably top 25 somewhere in there, Okay. if I had to kind of ballpark it, Mm -hmm. obviously visuals are fucking great, the soundtrack is great, the sound editing is great. The actors are great. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's just a cool-ass movie, man. Yeah, it is. It's a cool-ass movie about, yeah, uh, some people that are on a mission. And that's just it. They're not on a mission to a planet. They're on the mission to the sun, you know? And, um, and then when it becomes that point of where, like, because anytime you watch a movie, you always you always think that somebody's gonna survive or whatever, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, so everybody dies. Yeah, everybody <laughs> dies. It's kind of like Star Wars Rogue One. Everybody <laughs> dies, you know, and it, it's, but it's also kind of I don't know, poetic and not depressing on a down note, you know. Yeah, because we see the
0: sun rising at the end. Yeah. yeah,
1: and then again, when you when you see our hero die, um, you know, when he he's Went ahead and set off a bomb inside, you know, the the sun. It just the the look on his face and just the elation and everything. It's it, it's it's a cool moment. You're not like, yeah. Well, shit. He just went ahead and incinerated. You know, um. It, it's
0: true. You don't. Yeah. You're not. You're not sad. Yeah. There's a glory, and you can tell that he feels he's not afraid. Yep. He, there's a glory about the ending, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with just the visual, like the bright light. I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard, to, but I guess his face is so like in awe and sort of at peace at the same time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And just like even like the the burns on his like the like the sunburn from in that 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 shot is just really really cool and everything, and and then he just becomes the light.
0: Just it's cool. I love actually now that you. I love when he looks like his, the way his hand looks when he holds it up. Mm-hmm. It's like almost translucent and it's kind of glowing. Mm-hmm. That's a really cool little effect there. But damn, yeah, Killian Murphy, that guy. I fuck. I'm a huge fan. Um, even now it's I his to me. Even though his acting wasn't all that, like he didn't have a lot. He was great in this movie, but man, in in Peaky Blinders. He is fucking, damn, he's good. At the, he's good as Tommy Shelby, man.
1: Yeah, so I haven't, I've never seen Peaky Oh, you plant. haven't seen no, it? No, oh, no, no, dude. No. Uh, you... I've, I've heard, yeah, I've heard good things. For me, my, you know, it started with 20 Days Later, 20 Days Later, and then this, and what, what was it, like a red eye or some shit? Yeah, or something. red eye. And then obviously. He was a pretty good villain. Ba- yeah. Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Loved him uh, in the Batman
0: Begins, or the, just the, that Batman uh series. You would definitely like *Peaky Blinders*. The acting is fucking outstanding. Visually, it's extremely well done. Mm-hmm. It's got Sam Neil in it. Sam Neil, right? Creepy Sam Neil. Sam Neil with a f- thick Irish accent. Oh, dude, you gotta you gotta get on that. And plus, the seasons are like six episodes too. So, it's oh, pretty that's short. good. How many yeah.
1: seasons are there right now?
0: There, I think there's been five seasons. Okay. It gets a little repetitive, though. I would say, like. Because it's kind of like, well, I don't want to give away too much. Yeah, don't don't say anything. But yeah, <laughs> uh, but Killer Murphy's acting, holy shit! Yeah, that motherfucker. I mean, he looks amazing and he acts. Oh, he's, he's good. Fucking, he's good. awesome. He's good. <laughs> yeah, he's a good actor. Uh, but uh, any final thoughts on on Sunshine? I almost want to talk a little
1: bit about the the science in the movie. Okay. Uh, what's really neat about this film, and this is where I'm going to kind of like have my little slight nerd moment thing. So I went to, I, w- I went to um, a pretty, a pretty decent school in, in Carnegie Mellon, but they, one of the things that they've got is one, they've got a huge like uh science program in the school. I mean, they just, just through the roof. Now I didn't go to school for science, but one of the things that my university or that university does is they partner with this thing called the Sloan foundation, which they is for like the betterment and uh, well being and knowledge and future like understanding of science. So and 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 they go ahead and wa- uh, give grants and they they fund movies that are that are science based. So w- this movie, I've ever ever since I went to CMU, I've always been kind of curious about this movie on on the science front. And I want to kind of like shout out the the British physicist Brian Cox, who is like set used as like an advisor for this movie now when you when you take it at the surface of okay the the sun is dying and we're going to go ahead and jump start it, it it's kind of a ridiculous concept but one of the things that they did is they brought on this uh this particle physicist to come on and say well there are these things like cue balls and if like a if, if like a like a cue ball were to get into uh, the sun, it could kind of eat it from within and yada. So just to make kind of like a, on the surface, a hokey plot seem plausible because really the sun is going to burn out really what, like 5 billion years or something. So from like a science aspect, I mean, it, the sun burning out in 50 years doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of hokey, but in the, in this scenario, they went ahead and, and did this. And Brian Cox like did lectures while like the cast were going on and uh, and like all the cast members uh, went to these co- uh, the, these classes and everything, and Killian Murphy spent a lot of time with Brian Cox, kind of even used a little bit of his own performance um, around the the mannerisms and everything of Brian Cox, and the the, the dude's fascinating. But he was kind of like an indirect uh, cast member of this movie, just on the influence. And Alex Garland and Danny Boyle both went to him just to get, receive input and in how they can make this the sci-fi movie be as scientifically plausible as, as possible, even though there's a lot of scientific inaccuracies in the movie. Um, I mean, like the, the gravity is kind of weird and the way that they use it and just a couple other things that they do is, is a little strange, but all things considered for a, a sci-fi movie that is kind of a, a, a ridiculous concept, they did everything they could to make it as scientifically sound as possible. And I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think like some of the specifics, like the gravity in the, um, in the payload area at the end, because they can kind of there's like they're kind of stuck. No matter which direction they go in, they're they're kind of still on their like they're not falling anywhere mm-hmm. um, due to the gravity of that and things getting warped and twisted. And they even mention that too whenever they're kind of is running as simulations of let's figure out, okay, is it worth the risk um, or is it worth going to Icarus 1 to pick up this additional payload and he's kind of running through that and everything just gets too noisy and it's just a guess ultimately once you get to that point of, mm-hmm. of uh, the massive gravity effects of the sun and also things like time dilation can account for the way that he is not engulfed. And even I think Canada's death as well, sort of like feels like it goes on a lot longer than it would. Like, if you were yeah. like, if you're getting blasted by the sun, I mean, you're going to be toast and like, yep. in less than a, you know, in a millisecond. Um, but just. I guess specifically the ending he, where he can kind of visualize the sun and the sparks from the bomb. Like he's kind of in that liminal area between those two states. And how just due to the gravity and everything, be, space-time being warped, like it potentially could be possible that you could observe some of that for a while. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I think even, you know, if you fall into a black hole, I think there's, you could like per, be falling into it for all of eternity. I don't know. I've, I've read some shit like that. So just due to the way that things get warped. Right. But I,
1: But yeah, I just wanted to talk, I, I just... I couldn't end a sunshine uh <laughs> right. podcast without mentioning Brian Cox just because of how much of an influence he had with how the the film itself came together. Right on. That and take a look at the dude. He he straight up looks like uh Killian Murphy's like character in this movie with like the hair and everything. How oh,
0: interesting. I'll have to, we'll have to Google him. But uh any uh, any other final thoughts before we uh sign off for the week?
1: Nah, man. Um, again, thank you as always for having me. Of course. I uh, really enjoyed. Thank uh, you. Yeah. really enjoyed talking about uh, sunshine. Absolutely.
2: This is podcast. Care of Cooper Cherry signing off.